If you have a Bible, you can um, open up there. There's some Bibles in the seats in front of you, and I didn't look up the page number, but if someone wants to find it, they could call it out. James chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. 855, page 855. Over the past few years, several different people have said to me that they'd like to hear a sermon again that I preached back in 2008 on this passage, on the power of the tongue. Evidently, the, the message that James gives us in this passage has stuck with us as a church as a message that we need to be reminded of. At least every, what, six years? <laughs> Eight years, seven years, every day, okay. (laughs) And especially as we discuss as a church an issue that we have different opinions on. Because as Greg Howe pointed out last Sunday, there's nothing wrong with disagreeing. Christians disagree on all sorts of things, just like everyone else does. Uh, But the question is, how do we disagree? And and what do we say uh, to those and about those we disagree with, whether face-to-face or when they're not in the room? Do we speak to them and about them respectfully, or are we critical of them behind their backs, as Barbara was reminding us earlier? Do we reflect them as a person in in a positive light, even if we disagree with their point of view, or do we build a coalition of negativity against them with other people through our speech? And so all of this has to do with the way we use our tongues, because how we use our tongues is key to our spirituality and to how we function together as God's people. And I don't know about you, but if I were asked what part of the body was most important in my spiritual growth, I don't know that I would have guessed the tongue. But our our passage for today reminds us just how important our tongues are. So let's take a look. James begins... Not many of you should presume to be, my te- to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Here we see that this passage is aimed first and foremost at those who have the responsibility for teaching God's word. The, the words that teachers and preachers speak in, in guiding and shepherding God's flock matter a great deal. But lest the rest of you think that you're off the hook, Christians have long recognized that what's good for the goose is good for the gander. And what's good for the shepherd is good for the sheep. So this sermon is first of all for me and for others among us who teach God's word. But then as well, it's for the rest of us. So James begins by acknowledging that growing to spiritual maturity is no easy task. We all stumble in many ways, he admits. James is a realist. He knows that as we put one foot in front of another on our spiritual journey, we we frequently falter and stumble. We we get distracted. We we lose control of our emotions sometimes. We we fall prey to temptation. We we nurse bitterness. We, We lose perspective. But nevertheless, James urges us toward our goal. In verse 2, he sets it before us. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man able to keep his whole body in check. Now, perfect here doesn't really mean perfect. It's the Greek word teleos. And teleos doesn't mean perfect as much as it means complete or mature. So, uh, you know, you could think it's playoff time. You can think of a pro football player. Um, 
if you've been watching the playoffs, you've been reminded that, that even professional players make mistakes, right? <laughs> yeah. They're not, they're not perfect, but they are mature and accomplished, athletically speaking. They're, they're at the top of their game. They're, they're way better than the rest of us, right? <laughs> and that's what James is urging us toward in our spiritual walks. He's urging us to excel, to, to become experts. And, and James tells us how we'll know that we've arrived, that, that we've been drafted to the pro circuit when it comes to Christianity. We'll know that we're teleos when we've learned to control what we say. <laughs> because he says, if you can control the tongue, your tongue, you can control the rest of you as well. So here's the key biblical truth for this passage. If you want to grow spiritually, tame your tongue. Would you turn to someone next to you and say that to them, okay? If you want to grow spiritually, tame your tongue. And if you know them really well, you can stick your tongue out at them. This is kinesthetic learning for, for those of you who, who learn kinesthetically. So, some of you as wives and husbands, this, this is a little, a little uh, awkward. To, um, okay. If you want to grow spiritually, which part of you do you need to tame? Your tongue. James Put it another way, back in chapter 1, verse 26, when he said, If anyone considers themselves religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on their tongue, they deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Strong words. <laughs> According to James, our tongues are really important. Well, in the verses that follow, James gives us five reasons why. Here they are. We've got to tame our tongues because first... Our tongues are our most influential part. Second, they're our most damaging part. Third, they're our most evil part. Fourth, they're our most untamable part. And fifth, they're our most revealing part. And I want to spend the bulk of our time this morning going through these five reasons that James gives us. First, we've got to tame our tongues because our tongues are our most influential part. James says our tongues direct our lives like reins control a horse or an udder, a rudder steers a ship. Picture a galloping thoroughbred coming straight at you. Uh, wild eyes, flared nostrils, hundreds of pounds of pulsing muscle ready to flatten you like a pancake. The difference between life and death for you in that moment is whether that horse has a bit in its mouth. Because if it has a bit, the rider on its back can use that simple bit and reins to turn it aside or to pull it up short. Now picture a huge sailing ship towering over you. It weighs multiple tons. In strong seas, when its sails are, are billowing full of fierce winds, it's propelled ahead with incredible force. Nothing is going to stop it. And yet, a very small rudder directs its course wherever the captain wants it to go. And so it is with the tongue, James says. The tongue is, is the part of our bodies which has the power to direct our entire lives. They say the clo that clothes make a man. No, words make the man and the woman. You may have heard the proverb, sow a thought and you reap a word. Sow a word and you reap a deed. Sow a deed, you reap a habit. 
So a habit, you reap a character. So a character, reap a destiny. James agrees, especially with the first part of that. But let me give you some illustrations about how this plays out in real life. Remember the little boy who cried wolf? He'd cry wolf and the townspeople would all come running to save him, but there was no wolf. He just liked the attention. So, so eventually the, the car alarm phenomenon happened, right? That people started just tuning him out. <laughs> and when the wolf finally did come and the boy cried wolf, nobody came to save him. That's a story about how our words build our characters and our reputations. People learn by our words who we are and, and whether they can trust us. Some of you who are older maybe remember the old ad line, when, when E.F. Hutton talks, people listen, right? When you talk, do people listen? Do they value your input because you've proven by your words that you're wise and true? Or have they learned to tune you out because, because you can't be trusted and you don't have anything helpful to say? Proverbs 15.4 says, The tongue that brings healing is a tree of life, but a deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. Bruce Wilkie in his commentary on Proverbs adds, A fool's tongue is long enough to slit his own throat. And then there's the story of the little engine who could. You remember the story? The, the train broke down trying to bring the toys over the mountain to the good boys and girls. And two other engines were called on, but, but they didn't think they could make it over the mountain. But there was a little engine who rose to the challenge, right? And, and all the way up the mountain, the little engine told itself, I think I can, I think I can, and it could, and it did. Positive words have great power to change our perspective and to affect our behavior. That's why scripture admonishes us to, to, to speak the truth even when we don't feel it. And to praise God sometimes even when, when we don't feel like it. Because our words have the power to change our attitudes and our outlooks and even our behaviors. Our words also form our characters. If we gripe enough... We become a grouchy person. If we complain enough, we become a negative person. If we criticize enough, we become a critical person. But if we encourage enough, we become an encouraging person. If we express respect and affection enough, we become a loving person. Our tongues are powerful and influential. We are the only creatures to whom God has given the power of complex language. And with this God-given ability, we've created cultures and arts and science and love and war and bigotry and abuse. Let me conclude this first point with, with a powerful quote from Dallas Willard, the, the late philosophy professor from USC and wonderful writer about Christian spirituality. He says, through words... Souls impact souls, sometimes with great spiritual force. As mere marks or sounds, words are nothing. It is their mental side, their spiritual force that hooks into the hidden levers of mind and reality and gives them their immense power. The power of the word lies finally in the personality that it conveys. Children learn to say, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Adults teach them to say this in order to ease the terrible pain that really is inflicted on them by the words of their playmates. 
how deeply children can be hurt by words. The school playground can become a chamber of horrors when young souls are left permanently crippled or scarred by malicious and mindless chatter. We need to tame our tongues. Not only because they're our most influential parts, but second, also because they're our most destructive parts. Consider what a great tree is set on fire by a small park, a spark, James says. The tongue corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of their life on fire. It is full of deadly poison. I don't think we have trouble believing James here, do we? We've all experienced what Dallas Willard describes. Our words do impact one another deeply. Someone you love says, says a thoughtless, undisciplined word, and it wounds you deep within. Proverbs 26.22 compares it to a choice morsel, which goes down to your inmost parts. I can tell you firsthand, I've seen a parent's harsh, negative, angry, even cruel words destroy a child. I've seen criticism and gossip cause an earthquake of devastation in a church. Our tongue is destructive. Now there's always a place for constructive criticism in in the church and in relationships when it's done lovingly and respectfully. We should welcome that. We should grow from it. But but when those weeds start to spring up in the church, when we, we find a few sympathetic ears and we start complaining and, and grousing about what we don't like or, or what our leaders are doing wrong. Or, or when we just start passing on gossip, those little juicy stories and tidbits which portray another person in a negative light. We're playing with fire. James says we're playing with fire. Lloyd Ogilvy, former chaplain of the Senate, tells the story about a young man in a highland Scotland village who, uh, because of envy and hatred, passed on a very uh, depreciating, destroying story about another man in the village. And as a result, the rumor spread until the second man's reputation was absolutely destroyed. The young man had used his tongue to commit character assassination. He destroyed the man. And then, through a discovery of the real fact, he realized that that he had passed on a story which was untrue. It wasn't even true. And so he went to the the, the old domini of the village, the local pastor, hoping that he could be absolved from this. And and the pastor said, tell me, what what did you say? And and he told him. And he said, now can I be forgiven? And he said, oh no, not that quickly. Now what I want you to do uh, is I want you to take a whole bag of feathers and I want you to, to go around to the village and put one feather in every dooryard. And the man thought this was a really unusual instruction from a clergyman, but, but he wanted to be forgiven, so he obeyed. He went all over the village and all around the, the outskirts of the town, and he put one feather in every dooryard. And then he came back, and he, he said to the pastor, Okay, I've done it. Now can I be forgiven? And then he said, Oh, no, not yet. I I want you to do one more thing. I want you to take the same bag and go and pick up all those feathers. And and he said, why, why, that's absurd. I I can't do that. The wind has carried them away. And, of course, it had. And Ogilvy continues, boys flying kites haul in their birds, but you can't do that when you're flying words. Thoughts unexpressed may fall back dead, but God can't cure a word after it was said. Oh, how we'd all like to take back certain things we've said. 
You know, one more practical application of this is uh, beware of passing on email forwards. Uh, especially political ones. Just because someone isn't from our party doesn't mean God gives us the right to spread lies about them or to assassinate their characters. If you don't know how to fact check your emails or you can't be bothered to fact check them, then just delete them. You have no business forwarding something which damages another person's reputation, especially if you don't even know if it's true. As Christians, we're supposed to care about the truth, right? And yet, I get more lies and half-truths sent to me by email from Christians than anyone else I know. Even in the public arena, these kinds of, this kind of thing is gossip and slander, pure and simple. And anyone in leadership or in the public eye can tell you it's extremely damaging on many levels. So the tongue is the most influential part. It's the most damaging part. Third, it's also the most evil part. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person. It sets the whole course of his life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. It is a restless evil, James says. This next to last word, restless, conjures up the picture of a dark brooding sea. The Jews were landlubbers. And for them, the sea was, was a picture of, of chaos and restlessness and evil destruction. That's the tongue. Or if you'd prefer, it's a fire raging out of control, setting the whole world ablaze. Many of the things we say, James adds, come straight from hell. How easily we complain by our words denying that we have a God who's richly blessed us. How quickly we defend our faults and our shortcomings by our words denying that we're sinners in need of forgiving grace. How how frequently we speak badly about others behind their backs by our words proving that we aren't really following our Lord's greatest command that we love one another. If we want to grow spiritually, we must tame our tongues because they are so influential, so destructive, and so evil. Fourthly, they're also so untamable. You find that to be true? Do you find it hard to hold your tongue? <laughs> do, do you find that often those words slip out before your brain was really engaged? <laughs> no, no wonder scripture counsels us, let your words be few. And it's dead serious. Because the more we say, the more we wind up sinning. <laughs> and we have all so much trouble shutting our mouths. Our tongue is like a wild stallion haunting the ghostly hills of the West, elusive, wild, and unbroken. It's like an angry pit bull, recalcitrant and intractable and unmanageable. It's like a stubborn mule, headstrong and dogged and exasperating. All kinds of animals, James says, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. James paints a contrast here between humankind's great ability to tame so many other things and our inability to tame our own tongues. Back in James' day, taming animals was a great achievement that was lauded and looked up to and humankind was proud that they had, they had achieved it. Today we have many more achievements to boast of. 
We've eradicated many deadly diseases which used to decimate whole populations. We've successfully cloned animals. Recently, you may have heard a couple new space companies sent rockets up to the edge of space and then landed them again upright, vertical, right back on their landing pads. <laughs> and they're hoping within a decade to be offering tourist trips to the edge of space. The ability of humans to, to overcome and, and to tame the forces and the obstacles of nature seem almost limitless. And yet, for all of our advances... Have we come any closer to learning how to tame our tongues? Or are we just as ignorant and disciplined as ever? James says, do you want a real challenge? Do you want to really achieve some, something noteworthy, a, a great noteworthy human accomplishment? Work on taming your own tongue. Well, one person whose tongue was tamed was a woman named Arabella Young. She evidently died on May 24th, many years ago in England. And her tombstone stands in the churchyard cemetery on a country hillside. And if you look at it closely, the faint etching, I'm told, can still be read. Beneath this stone, a lump of clay, lies Arabella Young, who on the 24th of May began to hold her tongue. <laughs> May we begin to hold ours sooner than Arabella did. We need to tame our tongues. They are our most influential and destructive part, our most evil and untamable part. They're also fifth and finally our most revealing part. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? Can, can a, a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salty spring produce fresh water. James is, is working with Jesus' teaching here that out of the overflow of our hearts, our mouths speak. James' point is that our tongues can't help but reveal who we really are. If a spring can't produce both fresh and salty water, how can our hearts pr produce both good and bad words? How can we out of the same mouth lift up God and tear down our neighbor? The, the answer, James concludes, or suggests, is, is that our good words are a farce. That our praise must be hypocrisy because a salty spring can't really produce good water, he concludes. And so to drive this point home, James reminds us that, that fellow human beings are made in God's image just like we are. We are images which reflect and represent the God in whose image we're made. In James's day, a, a king or an emperor would set up statues of themselves in, in all the territories that they ruled. The, these statues were to remind the people who lived there of who their ruler was. And, and if anyone cursed or defaced that image, that statue, then they were treated as if they had insulted the emperor himself. Because the image represents the emperor. What, what they say about it, they said about him. And if we as human beings are made in God's image and we're placed in his realm as, as reminders that God is king, 
then, then if we curse or insult or degrade or cut down another human being, James says, we're really speaking against God in whose image that human being is made. And if we do this, our praise in church means nothing. The tongue is a, our most revealing part. It shows our hearts and what we're really made of. Ann and I have led a, a Bible study called Gospel Transformation several times over the years. And, and one of the weekly lessons involves a homework assignment called the tongue assignment. The, the assignment is to go for one whole week without criticizing anyone or gossiping about them, without boasting or bragging about anything. And here's the hardest one, without defending yourself or making excuses about anything. The purpose of the assignment is to reveal what's really in our hearts. <clears throat> Namely, how little we have really grasped the gospel and God's love for us. You see, we, we criticize others and we gossip about them to, to cut them down so we can feel better about ourselves. We, we brag and, and boast to try to build ourselves up. Why? Because we aren't really resting in, in God's deep love and acceptance for us. And we defend ourselves because we aren't secure in Jesus' defense that by his death on the cross, he's already made us fully acceptable to God. Our tongues reveal the state of our heart. Now, for those of us who've tried the tongue assignment, it's amazing what our tongues reveal. Because we can barely go a day without slipping up. And that's James's point. Our tongues reveal. And most of what they reveal isn't a pretty picture. So in conclusion, how, how do we do it? How do we do the impossible and tame our tongues? Well, James believes that we can do it. And, and he longs for us to do it and to become mature players of the, of the game, the, 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 uh, to become spiritual professional athletes, so to speak. Otherwise, you know, if James didn't believe we could do it, he wouldn't have spent so much time urging us to do so. Unfortunately, though, James doesn't tell us how to do it, so we have to turn to Jesus there. And, and I find Jesus' words about the rich young ruler in Mark 10 to be encouraging here, because he says, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. All things are possible with God. Jesus also says, as, as we've already noted, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if we're going to tame our tongues, we're going to have to cooperate with God as God transforms our hearts by his love. We're going to have to open our hearts in new ways to the good news that God loves us, that he's forgiven all our sins and declared us to be as righteous and beautiful as his son Jesus. And when we really grasp and we rest in that good news, then we're freed up to love others. And to speak in love toward others. So here's my challenge for us this week. It's to take the tongue assignment. For this week, until next Sunday, if you take the challenge, don't gossip about anyone. Don't criticize anyone. Don't complain about anything. Don't boast or brag. Don't defend yourself or make excuses. And don't lie or deceive others. And if you fail, if you slip up, use that moment as an opportunity to examine your heart. How 
Are you failing in that moment to really believe the gospel? To really believe that you're loved and accepted and you're, you're righteous and you're beautiful through what Christ has done for you. And so you don't need to add anything to that by your tongue, the way you use your tongue. And, and then let God's gracious love into that part of your life where you've, you've seen a failure. So if you're up for that challenge, do two things. One, pick up, we have a little half sheet for you. At the, the ushers have them at the back door as you go out. Pick one up. Um, it reminds you of what you need to do. And then also tell someone else you're doing it. Um, and invite them to check in with you a couple times this week to remind you and to, to see how it's going. Let me pray. God, through your word, you spoke the universe into being. Your word is powerful to create, to destroy, to save, to bring light into dark places. You've made us in your image and you've given us tongues as well. You've reminded us this morning how powerful our words are to build people up or to tear them down. God, we look at our hearts and there's so much more transformation that we need. We pray that you would press in on us. And as we examine the things we say, that you would examine our hearts and bring more of your love and more of your, your good news into our hearts that we would be secure enough to build others up with our tongues. Amen.